0: We'll keep your uh, fingers there in uh, in that passage because we're going to take a bit of time to uh, work our way through that uh, this morning. In fact, over the next four weeks, what we're going to be doing is we're going to be spending time in probably what I believe is one of the most amazing chapters in all of Scripture, Romans 8. I think if the if the chapters of the Bible were represented by mountain peaks, then over the next four weeks, we are going to be climbing Mount Everest because... The loftiness and the grandeur of the truths and the promises that are contained here in Romans 8 in this chapter, some of the most glorious in all of the Bible. It begins with the words, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And it ends by saying, nothing can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And in between, we discover such precious spiritual gems for followers of Jesus like this, that we have been adopted into God's family and have become heirs with Christ. We'll be looking at that next week in verses 16 and 17. And what that means is that all of the resources and riches of God's glorious eternal kingdom are ours now in Christ Jesus. We will see that God works all things together for good, for those who love Jesus and have been called according to his purpose. We'll see that in verse 28 in a couple of weeks' time. See, no matter what we face in our lives, no matter what circumstances are thrown at us, God has a purpose in it and it is for our good and for his glory. We will see promises like this, that if God is for us, then who can be against us? Verse 31. In fact, we need not fear anything. Nothing at all in this world today because God himself is on our side. And because of that, the chapter concludes with the fact that we are more than conquerors through Christ who loved us. Some amazing promises, aren't there? In all of those, some wonderful truths. And so, over the next four weeks, we're going to be spending time to uh, to look through, uh, to to, talk, to take time through this chapter. So, what Paul wants us to understand from his writings, and particularly a chapter such as this, is that the life with God is the best life ever. It's a life. That is, lived in the power of his indwelling Holy Spirit. And that's what we're going to spend our time this morning meditating upon, what it means to live life in the Spirit. So would you join me as we pray, please? Father, this morning as we begin this journey through Romans 8 and through the wonderful truths and promises that it contains... Lord, there are many of us here in this congregation whose hearts we desperately need to hear these things. Lord, we know that in the struggles and the trials and the tribulations of life, that these things can weigh us down and they can beat us down And they can leave us dejected and disillusioned. And so we need to come to chapters like this in the scriptures and be reminded again of all that you have done for us in Jesus Christ and that indeed the life that is lived with you in dependence upon you and in faith and trust in you is indeed the best life ever. Lord, we pray that you would help us to understand over these next few weeks and particularly this morning what it means to live life in the Spirit of God with the power of the Holy Spirit at work in us, the presence of your Holy Spirit indwelling us and the comfort of your Holy Spirit that comes to us through faith. Amen. Four things we're going to look at this morning of what life in the Spirit means. We're going to just work our way through this passage relatively quickly. So if you're taking notes, here's the first point. The first thing that life in the Spirit means is that we are free from condemnation. That we are free from condemnation. So often as Christians, we view our salvation a bit myopically. In other words, we just kind of see it kind of like one dimensional or, you know, sort of just with a bit sort of like tunnel vision. And we view it from the fact that we have been saved from something. But that's all we see it as. And that being saved from something, of course, is the consequences of our sins. We put a great deal of emphasis and so we should on the grace and the mercy of God shown to us in sending his son Jesus to, 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 to bear our sins on the cross and to bear the, the wrath of God, the punishment for our sins on the cross that we might be forgiven that we might receive God's righteousness and therefore be able to stand before him free from condemnation, knowing that God no longer holds us accountable for that which we have done to offend him. I mean, the forgiveness of God is something that we should be eternally thankful for because God didn't have to forgive us in any way, shape or form. In fact... When Paul says to the fact that we were, when we were in our transgressions, we were God's enemies, hostile to God. And we'll see that word hostile used by the Apostle Paul in this passage this morning and look a little bit about what that means. God could have just basically just washed his hands of us and said, you know what, that's your choice, you go ahead and do it. And I'll just leave you. But God, in in the richness of his mercy and grace, said to us in Jesus Christ, you mean more to me than anything. And I love you with a love that you cannot even begin to fathom. And I want you for myself. not because God is some kind of cosmic being who just, you know, some kind of, what's the term, Who um, narcissistic kind of God who just wants, you know, to bathe in all of the glory and that sort of thing from people. God doesn't need that from us. But God wants us for himself that he might bless us, that we might flourish in life lived according to how he has ordained us to live as his creatures. The forgiveness of God is something we should be eternally thankful for. Paul says that that forgiveness of God is very much summed up in this passage that there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For those who have put their faith and trust in Christ, we need not fear God's judgment because of our sins, because Jesus himself has paid for them past, present and future. The debt, the sin debt that we had before God, Jesus has paid in full. And so we can come boldly and confidently, but humbly and reverently into the presence of God, knowing that he will embrace us. We no longer stand con- as condemned sinners. And Paul states in Romans chapter 5 and verse 1 that we have been justified by faith in Jesus Christ and therefore we have peace. With God. That peace speaks about the fact that there is no more hostility between us and God. Peace reigns in our relationship with Him. And so when Satan wants to try and remind us of our failures and our sins, as he so often does, and he does so to discourage us and disillusion us in our faith in God. We need to come back to him with this particular verse this morning, that therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Devil, you can dredge up all of my past and all of my sins and all of my failures as much as you like, but I can say to to you boldly and confidently, therefore, as a child of God... Bible highlighter with you this morning, highlight that verse. Make it bold, make it clear, and come back to it often. Life in the Spirit means freedom from condemnation. Life in the Spirit also means that there is a new law or power at principle at work in you. We see that in verses 2 to 4 of our passage this morning. You know, last week, Pastor Dale preached from Romans 7 and pointed out that internal struggle that we as Christians have due to our two natures, our sin nature and our new nature in Christ. And that new nature which has been given to us by God's indwelling Holy Spirit who comes to us at that point that we profess faith in Jesus Christ, what we refer to today as conversion. Conversion. These two natures are at war and this battle points to the fact that a change has taken place in you. If God's spirit wasn't living in you, you would not have this struggle. If God was not trying to reach into your life and God was not trying to, uh, to, uh, to, to encourage you that there is a better way to live, you wouldn't, you know, you wouldn't have this struggle. There would be no issues whatsoever. You'd have no problem rejecting God, you'd have no problem rejecting his word, his people, his church, anything like that. As far as, 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 as people in this state, they would just see it as, as probably foolishness. And many in our world do today. See, prior to our salvation, we were slaves to sin and death. We were completely under the power of sin and death in our lives. And if you want to uh, go more into that, you can go back again into, uh, to Romans, and I preached a passage on it uh, not that long ago in Romans 5 uh, that you can uh, get from either online and our, uh, our sermons online, or you can order a copy at the, uh, the back desk back there. The pride of our salvation, we were completely under the power of sin and death, and we were helpless against them. We had no choice but to obey these things in our lives. But here in Romans 8, in verse 2, Paul says that we have now, for those who have put their faith in Christ, we have now been set free from this power. We have now been set free from this rule and reign of sin and death in our lives. And we no longer have to follow sin's ways we no longer need to have to follow the, the, the passions and the lusts and the desires of our flesh. We actually can have a choice and say, you know what, no. I don't have to do that anymore. God, through his spirit, his indwelling spirit, has now given me the power to say no and to say there is a better way, a God's way. Paul says we've been freed to live this better way. We've been freed to to live God's way. And this is the second part of our salvation which we so often forget. We often think about the fact that we've been saved from something, but we are often negligent of the fact that we have been saved to something. And that is a life of Christ-likeness, a life lived Reflecting the grace and the mercy, the love and the perfection of Jesus Christ, although we won't be perfect in this life. it is this kind of life that brings glory to God, and which Paul will later say in this passage is a life that leads is, is a life that leads to life and peace in our hearts. look at verses three and four. God says this, For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. See, we cannot, we cannot hope to be made righteous. We cannot hope to earn God's approval and his favour by trying to observe the law in and of our own strength. Because Paul says that we are simply unable to follow it perfectly in our sinful state without the indwelling Holy Spirit within us. It is an impossibility. We will always fail because we are corrupted by our sinful nature, what Paul refers to in this passage as the flesh. It is this nature which is hostile towards God. And in our sinful state, we are completely opposed to God and his ways. There's a deep-seated animosity towards God. There is an antagonism in our hearts and in our minds and in our lives towards God and the things of God. There is an antagonism towards God's name. There's an antagonism towards God's kingdom, to God's will, to God's word, to God's Son. To God's Spirit, to God's people, to God's ways, to God's glory, and ultimately to God's law. Did you get that? When we are in the flesh, we are completely at odds with God. And those who live according to the flesh, according to what Paul states here, they naturally set their minds on the things of the flesh which ultimately lead to death. Now that death that Paul speaks about here has a couple of of, um, aspects to it, if you like. The first is speaking of a spiritual death. In other words, that we will be eternally separated from God forever eternally means forever, but anyway, you know what I mean. We will be eternally separated from God. If we remain in the flesh without God's Holy Spirit indwelling us, we will be separated from God and from God's love and from God's goodness and from all of God's kingdom, and there is no hope for us. The other aspect that Paul speaks about in terms of death is the fact that we will experience death or corruption or decay in our lives because of the sin that it brings, because of what sin brings about in us. And the devil will try us, try to help to, to make us believe the lie that following the passions of our flesh and our sinful nature, of giving in to these things, is the way to life and happiness and fulfilment and contentment and so on and so on and so on. But God says, ultimately, this stuff, it just leads to death. Ultimately, it doesn't satisfy. Ultimately, it leaves us empty and cold. And not only does it destroy us, but it destroys our relationships with others. The mindset on the flesh leads to death. And Paul says that those who are in the flesh cannot please God. have not... Recognise your need for Jesus Christ as your saviour. Saviour for your sin before God. Are you thinking in your mind that, hey, I'm living a good life. I'm living a a fairly upright kind of moral life. I kind of try to look out for people and, you know, be nice and do the right thing. Please hear these words of God this morning through the Apostle Paul. That you are still in your flesh and you cannot please God. No matter how hard you try, you cannot. And none of us can hope to please God if we are living according to the flesh. We are living according to the sinful nature and our own selfish ambitions and purposes and desires yep Paul goes on and here's where we start to climb those wonderful heights where he says that God has solved our problem by sending Jesus Christ his son in human likeness like us tempted in every way we are Yet himself was without sin Jesus lived the perfect life that we could never live and he died the righteous death that we could never die and he says for those who put their faith and trust in me I will give my righteousness to them Jesus obeyed God's law perfectly. He met all of its righteous requirements. He condemned, God condemned sin in the flesh of Jesus Christ there on the cross. And in doing this, God provided the means by which we can be freed from sin's power, which leads to death. Christian today, please know this. That there is now a new power that is at work in your life and in your heart. Know it and believe it. There is a new power that is at work in you and in me. I need to hear this this morning. God knew that this was the word that I needed to hear today. But it's a word that we all need to hear today. That there is a new power at work in you. The power of God, the the same power that raised Jesus from the dead is at work in you and in your life today. And it's the power of the Holy Spirit. That power is greater than sin and death. See, God himself in the person of the Holy Spirit has taken up residence within the believer and it is the Spirit who now gives you the ability to live as God has designed us to live, to to design you to live in accordance with his good law. Second Timothy 1.7 says, For God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power, of love, and of self-control or self-discipline. Look at verse 4 for a minute. You notice that Paul says in verse 4 that God condemns sin in Christ through his death in order that... Now, what does that phrase mean? In order that it means that God had a purpose in condemning your sin in Christ Jesus. And that purpose was, if you follow along with the Apostle Paul, it is in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us. The righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us. When we are joined with Christ through faith, his righteous life, as I've said, is credited to our account, our our sins are paid for, and God sees us the same as he sees his son, Jesus. But there's more to it because Paul goes on to say that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk, that is, who live lives according to the Spirit. In other words, what the Apostle Paul is saying here is that God expects that the righteous requirements of God's law will in fact be worked out in our day-to-day lives. That they will be continually lived out in us. So we can't say that the law of God is, doesn't, you know, doesn't um, have anything to do with us anymore because we're saved by grace and through faith and not by the law. But God has saved us in order that the righteous requirements of the law can now be actually worked out in us, so that the glory of God and the power of God might be visible to those around us who see us live that kind of life. and we will become more and more people who delight in God and submit to him further this is the way that leads to life and peace what paul says in verse 6 you know i wonder I asked myself this question this week i wonder would we pursue holiness and Christlikeness with a greater fervency and eagerness if we were completely convinced in our hearts that that is truly the way to life and peace, would we live that way? Would we seek to live more holy and Christ-like lives knowing that that indeed is the secret to living a life of peace? Point three. Not only is there a new law at work within us, but we have a mind focused on the things of the Spirit. Verses five to eight. The question Paul is wanting us, to, I guess, to uh, in, uh, implicitly ask ourselves as we go through these verses is that where, will, where are our minds set? On what things are our minds currently set? On what things today are your minds set on, focused on, fixed on? Because Paul says we have a choice on what we set our minds on. Prior to conversion, we didn't. A life in the spirit is a life lived with the Spirit of God. It is a life lived with the Spirit as our guide and we and we as our helper Sorry, i 'm just trying to catch up on the slides here. I never f- remembered a you know i 've got pink marks here on my paper, but I know I just keep going over I just get caught up in what i 'm saying. Life in the spirit life in the spirit is a life lived with the Spirit as our guide and our helper, as we are dependent upon God's Spirit in our lives, a dependence upon him for the ability to live that God-centred and God-directed life. And life in the Spirit means, means having an eternal perspective, folks. It means actually seeing things not just from the here and now perspective, but from the eternal perspective, there is so much stuff that we want, to, we want to gain for ourselves in the here and now. Right now, this world you know, tempts us with myriads and myriads of things and says, this is the way to life and peace. And you need to go after these things with all of your efforts, with all your energies and with all your heart and with all your passion. But God says there's a better way and that is to actually have an eternal perspective and think not about storing up for ourselves treasures here on earth, but in fact storing up for ourselves treasures in heaven. It means setting our sights on things above. Living life in the Spirit means hungering and thirsting after righteousness, after God's goodness and his ways. It means seeking after God's will above our own. You remember Jesus' words in the Garden of Gethsemane just before his crucifixion where he, he pleaded with the Father and said, if, if, any, if it's any at all possible, please take this away from me. Take this cup from me. I don't want to go through this. But ultimately, not my will, but your will be done. Can we honestly say to ourselves this morning as we sit there in, our, in those pews, can we honestly say to, our, to, to before God that God, it is your will that I want done in my life, not my will? Regardless of what it will ultimately cost me. And it will cost you. Make no mistake about that. To follow after God. Jesus says, those who want to follow him, they need to take up their cross daily and follow him. That cross is a symbol of self-sacrifice. Of dying to self. Of dying to all our wants and all our needs and all our desires and saying, God, I'm going to put you first. And what a great way to start a new year by being able to, 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 to confidently come before God but humbly come before him on our knees and say, this year, not my will but your will be done. Even if it costs me everything I have. Mind focused on the things of the Spirit, a life lived in the Spirit is this kind of life. But can I tell you that you will never, ever, ever outgive God? No matter what you give up in your life, no matter what you surrender for Him. Don't think that he will owe you. In been a sin that I've had in my own life lately. I felt that God has owed me. You will never, ever, ever be able to outgive God. Because the blessings of God will always far outweigh anything that you give up for Him. Last point. Living in the Spirit means living with a confident hope. Verses 9 to 11. See, for the believer, we've been given a new nature. Verse 9, Paul says, You, however, are not in the flesh but in the Spirit, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. Does He today? Does that spirit of God dwell in you? Because the distinguishing mark of the true believer, God's true child, is this possession of the indwelling Holy Spirit. Power of the spirit that helps us to live these holy lives. And yeah, we won't be perfect this side of glory. Glory. But I can guarantee you that if you set your mind on the things of the Spirit, that things will change. That things will change. Philippians 1.6, Paul says, I am sure of this, that he, that is God, who started a good work in you, He will, not he may be, he might, he will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. The proof that the Spirit lives in us will be the fact that our desire will be to more and more live in conformity to the will and patterns and purposes. In the end, we will confident, and we can confidently know that just as the Holy Spirit, the power of the Spirit raised Jesus from the dead, that same Spirit who now lives in you will one day raise you to a new and glorious life, free from this body of sin and corruption. He will give you. If the spirit of him, in verse 11, who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. That is the hope that we have. come around our communion table this morning. I invite the stewards just to uh, make their way up, please. And I invite you this morning, actually let me rephrase that, God himself invites you this morning to set your minds on him. In other words, fix our eyes on Jesus. Don't lose him from your sight. I was reminded yesterday, you know when Peter was walking on the water? Jesus had invited him to come out of the boat in the midst of that storm and as Peter kept his eyes fixed on Jesus, what was he able to do? he was able to walk on water. But as soon as he took his eyes off Jesus, what happened? He started to sink. Life feels like it's sinking right now. You know what you got to do? Look up. Fix your eyes on Jesus. Set the compass of your hearts firmly on him. Don't be convinced in your minds and your hearts that there is any other better way, because there's not. Fix your eyes on Jesus, firmly on the things of the Spirit, and experience life as God intended. This table of these these elements this morning, the, the bread and the grape juice, speak of the way in which God has made it possible for us to become his child. They speak of the sacrifice that God was willing to make for you and for me. There was no expense that God spared in saving us. So really there should be no, nothing from us held back from the one who is willing to give everything, right? If you're a follower of Jesus this morning, I invite you to partake of the elements. The stewards are going to come and they're going to hand them round. To so eat of the bread, remembering what God has done for you. And can I ask you to hold the cup that we might drink in fellowship together at the end. Let's pray. Father, these elements, as simple as they are, speak of a profound truth and a profound love and grace in Jesus Christ. As we partake of them now, impress upon our hearts again all that you have done for us in Jesus and help us to respond with thankfulness and with a willingness and desire in our hearts to want to fix our gaze, to set the compass of our hearts, to set our minds firmly on the things of the Spirit. Amen.